listening to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. I have been invited this morning to come and continue this series that we have been doing on the Bible and culture. So we had a little hiatus, well, we had a glorious hiatus, actually, last Sunday with Celtic worship. Um, which was just a wonderful uh, weekend. But I'm picking up the series that we've been on since the start of the year on Bible and culture. So just a little reminder for uh, those of you, it's maybe kind of gone out of your head a little bit, or perhaps if you're new here this morning or returning here this morning, we've been thinking about the idea that the Bible is a unified story that leads us to Jesus. So when we come to think about what the Bible is, and how we engage with it. We need to always have that that filter, that perspective in our minds. The Bible is a unified story, and throughout the the pages of Scripture, they're leading us always to this redemptive story of Jesus. We're also thinking about culture. Now, culture means, I guess, the waters that we swim in. Culture is everything that's around us. It's what we choose to take and make of the world um, around us. And often it can be hard, I think, to lift ourselves out. In fact, it's impossible to lift yourself out of the culture in which you find yourself, because that's like a fish trying to swim outside of the tank. Is that right? Something like that. So we're thinking about culture. And, and this morning we're kind of getting to the point where, where Stephen has very helpfully taken us into thinking what the Bible is all about. And this morning we're going to connect that into what does that actually mean for us in our contemporary culture in which we find ourselves. So we know that the Bible is this unified story that leads us to Jesus. And this morning what I want to talk about is the fact that Jesus offers us an alternative story to live by. Jesus offers us an alternative story to live by. Now, it might mean, it might, it might happen this morning that when I'm speaking, I'm, I mean, maybe I'm building this up in my own head. I am a drama queen. But I think this morning I might touch on a few things that might make people feel a little bit uncomfortable. So I'm just putting that out there as a kind of warning before I start. That's got you all sitting up, hasn't it? I'm going to say that every time I preach. I'm going to touch on things that might make you feel uncomfortable. They might make you feel a little bit defensive because maybe there are aspects of our culture that, we, that you discover this morning. Actually, I've kind of absorbed some cultural norms without really thinking about what the Bible has to say about that. It might be that, that it brings up some stuff for us, either in a way that leads us to feel a little bit shamed, shameful, shamed, or perhaps leads us to the point where we think, well, actually, I, I, I don't want to explore that because it's too deeply buried within myself. So I'm warning you of that before I start, because you might have that kind of sense of, I want to get a bit of fight, fight or flight. Please don't fight, i.e. don't storm me. <laughs> but if, if you need to just take a moment, if you need to leave the room at some point, that's okay. It's fine to do that. It's fine to do that. But it might be that you just need to take a moment to kind of ground your feet in the ground, let yourself have a breath. I'm Okay. It's just a 25-minute, 15, short sermon. Um, 
from a woman at the front, but please do speak to me afterwards. But what, what I hope will happen this morning is that as God speaks to us through his word, as he does Sunday by Sunday, he, he does put his finger on some things for us. And actually, I would encourage you not to walk away and not deal with some of the things that God might be speaking to you about this morning. There are people who are around to help you with that. There are people in our communities, our missional communities. There are people on the prayer team. So I've set that up. So you're all just like, what the heck is she going to talk about? Dinosaur. No, it's not. Um, I'm going to talk about Bible and culture. So, so let me just give you a little recap of where we're at with, with where Stephen is. So we, from the start of the year, we've been thinking about the fact that this book, the Bible, is in fact not a book, but it's a library of books. It's different types of writing that are put together, each book in the library needing to be read in context, both in where it sits within the story of Scripture, but also where it sits historically. Uh, we need to have an understanding of tradition, so we need to understand how Scripture has been interpreted through the centuries to understand, well, actually, if people have wrestled with this and thought this through and interpreted it, interpreted it in this way, then there, there are helpful things. We can't just throw out tradition and interpretation. We need to, to read through that filter too. We've understood that this is a book inspired by God, but written by human beings. And it's the means by which we encounter the living God. It's the means by which we discover there's a story of a kingdom into which we are invited. A story where God is the hero and we, where we are invited to participate, not as bit players, but as players playing to the full measure of what we were made to do and the true version of ourselves as the Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ. So this morning we're going to come into the book of Ephesians because I think Ephesians is a brilliant book for kind of summarizing some of that sense of this, this, the, this unified story. In Ephesians, it's a summary really of, of all that God has done in all his majesty and in his grace, uh, all that he has done, this grand overview of what he's done in Jesus, reminding us um, of how Jesus has made us alive and then moving towards the end of the book towards some specific instructions about how we should live. So before we read, we're going to read from Ephesians 4, but before I do that, I'd love to just pray some of the words that um, Paul uses at the beginning of Ephesians. So it's from Ephesians 1, but maybe we could just use this as a prayer this morning for ourselves. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Amen. So we're in this alternative story, and Paul has laid this out. It's an alternative story that sets us free from habits and patterns and assumptions of our old way of living that they have put in place. So in the Bible is this unified story pointing to Jesus, and Jesus is offering us a different way of living, a story that's marked by hope and holiness and power. And the question, I guess, for us this morning is really whether we're prepared to really go all in for this story. Are we really really up for being invited into what he calls us to. So let's read together. We're going to look at Ephesians 4. So if you could look that up or it'll be on the screen behind me. So to set the context, Paul has reminded them of who they are, the, the church in Ephesus. Church in Ephesus, um, full of all sorts of different kinds of people. Ephesus, an enormous city within the empire, um, full of all different kinds of spirituality, but particular, particularly worship of um, the goddess. I've blanked. Artemis. 
goddess Artemis. Thank you. I was going to say that and then I thought I was wrong. Uh, particularly worship of the goddess, particularly a lot of kind of uh, rituals and things that went around that. And the church within Ephesus obviously is a reflection of the culture that it finds itself in. I say that because sometimes we come to scripture and think, oh yeah, well that's all very well for the Ephesians. They were all just very holy Christians. No, they were people, ordinary people living in a big city faced with all the issues that we face as people living in an ordinary city. So let's read the passage together. We're reading from verse 17. Paul says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they, are, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for God, for Christ. Amen. Wow. Right? Let's not close the book. Let's keep the book open. Strong stuff, isn't it? Just switch it a wee bit. Let's just talk about resolutions for a while. I don't know how you're getting on with your uh, New Year's resolutions. Anyone still sticking with them? Blank feet. Well done. Well done. It's very good. I'm actually trying to see what it is. Um, I, have an, I have a resolution for February, which is to give up sugar. Not dramatic, dramatically. I mean, I'm still eating fruit and things. But basically, I've, I've given up um, additional sugar. Now, there's a number of factors at play with this. One is that I enjoy a fad. Not going to lie. I enjoy a hashtag campaign, Sugar Free February. So I'm quite sucked into that whole uh, marketing swizz by the fruit marketing board. I don't know who that's by. Um, there's also an element of competition because my flatmate, she's also given up sugar for the month of February. So, you know, there's a little bit of a, if, I, if she can do it, I can do it better. That's the way it works in my household. Um, but there are also some more serious things at play for me. So, so there is some diabetes in my family. There's a bit of a history of that. And I, to be honest with you, I'm approaching a certain age where I'm beginning to think, if I don't sort some of this out, then there's, diabetes is calling me. And I don't want my, my life to be restricted in that way. I, I know that having lost some weight a few years ago, I've basically gradually allowed it to creep back on again. And I need to start making some serious lifestyle choices because my love of food... Let's be honest and call it what it is. And my, and my reasonably sedentary lifestyle mean that I know I'm kind of playing with diabetes roulette. And uh, it's time to take some action. But it's really hard. <laughs> I mean, stating the blindingly obvious, isn't it? It's really hard. You know, it's really hard, particularly this is a total aside, not on my notes. But it's particularly hard in Christian circles. So my dad says that. We had diagnosed with type 2 diabetes about 10 years ago. He says it's really hard in Christian places because they're always trying to foist cakes and biscuits on you. Thankfully not here, we always have fruit available. But it's, it's a salutary thing, isn't it, to think about the amount of sugar that we take. We live in a sugar-obsessed culture, don't we? Life is hectic, and uh, we've become pretty accustomed to being able to have whatever we want when we want it. Uh, sugar is included in much of the pre-made food that we eat, much of the fast food that we buy. The choice of sugary snacks available to us at any time of day or night is uh, overwhelming, actually. Sugar-free, sugar food, sugary food is advertised on our billboards, it's advertised online, it's advertised through product placement in what we watch on TV. I don't know about your Instagram, but my Instagram is full of carefully curated brunch pictures. It's just because I live in the up and coming east end of Glasgow. Brunch pictures, afternoon teas, celebration cakes that people have made. I'm just looking after it, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling through and seeing that. And we all know, of course, that we're worth it, right? We all know that a little bit of what we fancy does is good, right? And we all know that you should treat yourself. <laughs> yes, I'm re-watching Parks and Rec. <laughs> Except the trouble is that for me, actually, it's not doing me good. And actually, I am worth much more. And I have been treating myself badly for too long. And that's the realization that I have come to, that sugar, though good and though natural and a gift from God, Actually, within my lifestyle, within the culture that we live on, we, we have become obsessed with it. And guess what? We are misusing it, and it is not doing us any good. So it might give me that quick flush of satisfaction 
and that hit of dopamine that I'm looking for. But actually, our bodies, my body, has lost any sense of how much is too much. And if I don't watch out, and if we don't watch out, we're actually storing up consequences that will make our future harder and our bodies unable to function as they should. We are integrated beings, right? Our physical well-being is inextricably linked with our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And all of that is all very well and good. Thank you very much, Fiona, for the lecture on sugar, but I didn't come to church to hear about that, right? <laughs> and uh, I'll just put a little caveat out there that please don't ask me how I'm getting on with it. That doesn't help me. <laughs> Constant nagging doesn't help me. Thank you, though, for listening to my confession this morning. Uh, you didn't come here for a lesson on sugar, and actually I'm not here to speak about that. I am here this morning to speak on these verses from Ephesians about purity and about holiness. And you don't have to be you know, super smart to begin to make the connection with some of the things I've just said about our society's attitude to sugar and our society's attitude to purity, to sexuality, to relationships, to how we are with one another. We are integrated beings, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, and God intends us to live fully and to live as well as he would have for us. So I'm, I'm going to talk about sex, sex, it's a Miranda thing. <laughs> And maybe sugar and sex maybe have some things in common when it comes to how we view them within our culture. So I'll come back to sugar later. And, and there's a wee bit of full disclosure in here before I begin to really delve into these verses. I was actually, in fact, Gordon this morning said to me, why Stephen asked you to speak about this? I was like, I don't quite know how to take that. Thanks, Gordon. <laughs> I replied, because I'm pure. <laughs> Gordon was nonplussed by that. <laughs> there was a little bit that when we've come to this subject, you think, well, why on earth get the 40-something the, the um, single celibate women to come and speak about that? Oh, actually, maybe I have got something to say about it. I have thought about this quite a lot. And increasingly, actually, in the last um, few years, God has been prompting me to speak a little bit more about um, purity, singleness, what that looks like, how you live it, some of the temptations, all of that stuff. So first of all, cheers for that. It's not even listening. <clears throat> but second of all, maybe there's an opportunity to speak perhaps a little bit out of some of my experience, but also to say, do you know what? We all struggle with some of this stuff, and, and um, I want to be utterly clear about that at the outset. Believe it or not, over 40, you still struggle with this stuff. What, you say? Thanks. Thanks, JT. That's encouraging. <laughs> Highly challenging, isn't it? When we begin to talk about sex and relationships, we feel quite uncomfortable, as I said at the beginning. And the alternative story that the Bible offers us that we can step into is actually not just about sex. I want to say that from the beginning because sometimes we can get caught up in this thing where we begin to think about what the church thinks about sex, what the Bible says about sex. We begin to, think, we begin to sound quite sex-obsessed, actually, um, because it feels as though sometimes that's all we hear about in our press when we hear about how the church is responding to things within our culture. But what we've read this morning says it's not just about that. It's about greed. It's about anger. It's about bitterness. It's about slander. These things are important things. All of this is important. But it is also about sex. Because I think sometimes that's the trap we fall into. We, we focus heavily on justice. We think, yeah, that, that we, we want to focus on the things that we feel a bit more comfortable with. But don't want to have to think too much about what the Bible says. Because then I'd have to make some hard choices, perhaps personally, but also in how I am with my friends and, and what I say about what I believe to be true. But if in Christ we are brought in to this alternative story, a better story than the one that the world around us offers, then we can't shy away from what these words say in the book of Ephesians. 
So let's think about what the, what the alternative story is that we're part of. Let's clarify that. It's a story where we're no longer expected to be good enough on our own merits. It's a story where we don't have to try harder and harder to win God's affection. A story where there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more or win his affection or his approval. A story where we are set free from judgment and comparison and striving. But a story that also demands we sacrifice old ways of being in order to live a new way. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. And if we go back into the early chapters of Ephesians, it's all about grace. It drips with it. It's infused with it. It's about accepting that offer of forgiveness, that new life, that understanding that any purity, any holiness, any righteousness that I have comes not from my own efforts, but from what Christ has done for me, that he has won it through his death and his resurrection. But it's also a story that is a demanding one. That as we read, we become, and as we engage more with God through his word, as we allow this story that points us to Jesus, as we allow that to infuse who we are, we increasingly become sensitive to what his spirit is saying and challenging us on and pointing out in our lives. Understanding, so we look at verse 19, understanding that where we once substituted spiritual sensitivity with physical sensuality, God wants, us to, God wants to set us free from those habits and patterns of the old story. He wants us to put on the new story. So Paul, he's making it absolutely clear to the Ephesians, and I think there's something for us here this morning, isn't there? He's making it absolutely clear to the Ephesians that there are patterns of behavior, ways of living, habits that are not compatible with being part of God's new story, like an old set of clothing that is no longer fit for purpose, that no longer suits us or serves who we are. He tells the Ephesians, put off your old way of life and put on a better way, a new set of clothing. So you see the, the, the picture he uses there in verses 20 through to 23. It's all about putting off, putting on. It's like taking off an old outfit, putting on something brand new. That To begin with, when you put on a new outfit, it can feel a bit clunky. It's not quite, you're not quite used to it. You're comfortable in your old ways. But Paul is saying, this is a better, this is, a, this is an infinitely better set of clothing that I have for you. And I want you to put that on. Um, and, and learn what it is to live in a new way. So he talks about all these different things, doesn't he? So verse 25, you have to put off, every time, you see, every time there's something that he points out that you have to take away, put off, there's also something that you put on. So put off lying, but you don't just sort of say, right, I'm just going to stop lying and I'm going to try harder. But he says, then put on the garment of truth-telling. So you actively go out and you, you, you speak truth to people. If you have a problem with lying, you counter it by putting on the new garments of truth-telling. Verse 28, put off stealing. And again, we see that worked out in our, in, in our society, don't we? When you, when, when you sort of tell somebody don't steal, that's really hard. But if you provide somebody with stuff to do with their hands, work that satisfies, then you replace that old habit with something that is new and helpful and useful. So put off lying, put off stealing. Verse 29, put off unwholesome talk. I think that's interesting, isn't it, open to, to interpretation of what that might be. That might be that kind of sexualized talk. It might be about gossiping about people and slander and how we, how we kind of backbite against people um, as, we, uh, as we talk about them to others. What do we put on? We put on words of encouragement. Now, a bit of personal disclosure, that's something for me that's been a big thing throughout my Christian life. I, I have quite a tendency to talk. Thanks. No, <laughs> quite attentive to talk, but actually when I was younger, I was, well, I still can be, but I, I was very sarcastic. I can be quite cutting because I'm quite quick-witted and so, also quite, 
and I'm <laughs> pretty proud as well. No, uh, pretty quick-witted, and so I can, I can cut somebody down with a word or with a sentence, and sometimes I can do that to their face or I can do that behind their back. And so God has really challenged me around that, and what I've learned that, that really helps with that is to put on encouragement. So actually to actively go, and sometimes you, <laughs> if you hear me doing it, it's not because I'm thinking something sarcastic about, it, about you, because it's been quite, become quite habitual. But, but even if it's some, something very, very practical, like quite often if I see somebody, oh, that's a really nice jacket, I like the colour of that. Or, you know, you look really smiley today. You will find me saying things encouraging, and actually it's something that I've learned to do, because actually I recognise that my words can be quite cutting and unhelpful. So, and wholesome talk, maybe that for you is something this morning. Put that aside, but choose to put on encouraging words. In verse 31, replace bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, and malice with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Again, let me just remind you, it's all about grace. So it's not about try harder. Don't walk out this building and go, oh, I'm going to try a bit harder to be a bit kinder. No, it's about allowing the Holy Spirit to enable you to make some active choices towards that and allowing him to work with you. So if you like, I suppose, it's the equivalent of me ditching my afternoon chocolate bar and turning to apples and almonds. I'm trying to encourage, thank you for the whoop, I'm trying to encourage myself with that because that's far more delicious. (laughs) So take off one form of behavior, but make sure you replace that form of behavior with something that is better. Find a different way of living. Be part of a different story is what Paul is saying. And for some of us, the temptation, I guess, towards some of these behaviors might be very real this morning. Some of those things I've already talked about. You might not be tempted to rob a bank. I hope you're not. Although I sometimes think about it. (laughs) That's just me. Uh, But but perhaps it is the temptation to borrow and not return. Or the temptation to choose the end of the train furthest from the guard so that when he comes around, you don't have to buy a ticket. And if you're coming off at, you know, Duke Street, you'll be fine with that. Top tips from the East End. Maybe it's the temptation to exaggerate your mileage on your expense claim at work. It, the temptation is not necessarily to go the full buna and rob a bank. The temptation might be for some of these smaller things. And as we mature in Christ, what happens is the Holy Spirit puts his finger more and more onto some of these behaviors, some of these patterns. And maybe he's doing it right now for some of us in this room so that we repent and we determine with his help to do things differently. But I think when we come to this and we're thinking about culture, what then happens is the, these are kind of obvious things, aren't they? I mean, because let's face it, in society, nobody's going to be saying, do you know what, you should just be yourself, go and rob that bank. If you identify as a bank robber, just get on with it, right? Nobody's saying that. We're all saying, actually, by and large, we reckon stealing is probably, probably not socially acceptable behavior. Rage is still not a, sex, a socially, acceptable, socially acceptable behavior, is it? Lying, although it's rife in our society, is still not, on the face of it, a socially acceptable behavior. It's widely condemned when somebody is caught out on a lie. These things are all good things to go after, but actually... What happens when we come to some of the other things that are in this chapter? We get in to chapter five. What about what he talks about when he talks about obscenity or he talks about foolish talk, when he talks about coarse joking, when he begins to talk about um, the impurity that's mentioned there? How do we square those verses? How do we put off these things when we live in, let's be honest, a sex-obsessed culture? We think we're obsessed with sugar, just wait till we start talking about sex, right? We live in a sex-obsessed culture. So is Paul just being prudish? Is this, is this just culturally 
for then and not for us here now. Can we just throw this out and say it's, it's outdated, it doesn't work for our current society? Or, or is there something in here that will unlock our inability to lift ourselves out of the cultural waters in which we swim? Is there something here that will unlock a way of purity, a way of holiness that will set God's people apart from those around him and become a light to the society that we find ourselves in? Because we can't help but think about this subject this week, can we? Well, actually, maybe those of you who've been doing student missions and things, you may be unaware of anything happening in current affairs. I just need to say, that I could say names within our, our current news cycle. We can't help being aware of the fact that our society is in a mess. We don't know what we're doing when it comes to sex and sexuality, when it comes to uh, faithfulness, when it comes to purity. It seems within the world that we're living in that these things are impossible to aim for, and it's sometimes actually, they're, well, often they're viewed as laughable ideals within our society. An orthodox Christian view of sex and relationship that dares to suggest that the physical expression of sexual desire should be kept within the context of a lifelong marriage commitment between a man and a woman is abhorrent, becoming increasingly abhorrent within the culture and certainly viewed as ludicrous. We live in a world of online sex positive educators. Those of you who read the Guardian magazine yesterday will probably know a lot more about that now than you did right on Saturday morning. Uh, we live in a world where ethical non-monogamy is on the rise. You have to stop and think what I'm talking about there. Ethical non-monogamy, so increasingly more than one partner. Um, and access to pornography sits right within us, within our pockets, doesn't it? And our bags. On my seat, because I've not brought it up with me. I was going to show you my phone at that point. You can't escape it. Our cultural confusion about sex and sexuality is impacting our politics, it's impacting our, sh our chat show hosts, and it's impacting our friends and our neighbours. And the question I think we have to answer this morning is what does that mean not to have even a hint of sexual immorality amongst us? What does it mean not even a hint? So back to my sugar. See what I'm doing? As soon as you're feeling slightly uncomfortable, I'm bringing it back to sugar. But you're all still thinking about sugar and sex now. Sorry about that. So, my body is in danger of losing any sense of what is healthy and what is a good way to consume sugar. So I have, to some extent, become a bit desensitized, in fact, to what is right and to what is wrong. And all the adverts, the Instagram... Um, uh, stuff, the behaviours of everyone else around me and the underlying discontent about my life that leads me to self-medicate with a bar of fruit and nut all encourage what is effectively a form of idolatry in my life, allowing something else to get in the way of my dependence and my worship on go of God. And what if we replace that story of, sh of sugar and, and think about our relationship personally and in society, but our relationship with sex and sexuality? What if we took a moment to shift our thinking so that we no longer allowed cultural assumptions to um, interpret what we read in the Bible, but actually we begin to say, I'm going to allow this book that speaks of Jesus, that points to him, I'm going to allow that to speak into the cultural assumptions I have, into my habits, and into what I have learned to accept as normal and become desensitized to around me. What if... The sexual norms of our society, the way sex confronts us in adverts, entertainment, the easy and socially acceptable access we have to porn, the assumptions that the more sexual partners you have, the more adventurous and um, experienced you are at life. What if 
the reduction of a physical act to meaning nothing other than another form of recreation. What if we acknowledged the times when we have allowed those cultural norms to shape our view of how to live well? And what if, if we actually took this seriously and did something about this, what if that then impacts those around us? Again, a small story off my notes. I got my hair done yesterday. Some of you have commented. Thank you. It meant I spent quite a long time with my hairdresser, Aaron. Aaron at the Rainbow Room in the Exchange Square. Honestly, she's comedy gold. It's worth Hello, Aaron, if you're listening. It's amazing. We always have great chats. She's always got to tell me what's going on in her life. And we were talking about, um, well, it's good because you don't see a hairdresser. It's every six weeks, so you catch up. It's like soap opera. It's brilliant. So um, last time I spoke to her, you know, I don't want to give too much personal detail away, but she'd been on a couple of dates, so we were chatting about that. And that's all kind of come to an end. And she said, oh, I'm just fed up with it all, Fiona, to be honest. I'm fed up. Um, I'm, not, I'm not doing the Tinder thing. Just not doing it. Because, like, see, I've got friends who are on it, and they're just, it's like swipe, swipe, swipe. I've got friends who's out three or four times a week with different people. I can't be bothered with that. It's not what I'm looking for. I was like, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting. Then she had to go and speak to somebody else, so we didn't continue. But I think it's interesting that, that I think it, that's just a little snapshot of somebody going about her normal business, and she's saying, do you know what? I'm sick of this. That's what she's saying. I'm tired of this way of living that effectively reduces people to swipe left, swipe, swipe right, that effectively commodifies something that, that is, is actually, she recognizes as something pretty precious and valuable. So, so I wonder if when we, in our embarrassment around what some of these verses say, choose to say nothing and choose not to, to engage, actually we're doing a disservice to people around us who are saying, well, what, what, what is this? What is going on in our, in our culture? How can I find a different story? Maybe there's opportunity within that. And what if we took a breath, took a moment, invited God to show us what sex and relationships should look like in that alternative story, the story that Christ invites us into. Because, you know, what was true in Ephesus is also true in Glasgow. Because human nature doesn't actually change all that much. And there are broad similarities between the city of Ephesus with all its spiritual seeking and its peculiar sexual practices and the city of Glasgow and all that we see around us. Human beings... I go back to my original point. Human beings are integrated beings. We're sexual beings just as much as we are social or spiritual. And we long to know others. And we long to have connection. We long to dispel loneliness. But we're not just sexual beings. We're created for wholeness. We're created to be that the physical and emotional aspects of sex are not more important than our spiritual health. And when we make them more important, we get ourselves into trouble. We distort the image. We confuse our sexuality with our spirituality. And we create an identity for ourselves that has nothing to do with who we were really meant to be. And Paul in these verses is inviting us to put off some of the cultural uh, assumptions that we have about sex, sexuality, purity, holiness, and put on a different and distinctive way of being. And I'm very aware of the sensitivities that we all bring to this topic. Some of us carry a load of shame around this, maybe around our past, maybe around our present, and maybe some of that shame is, is very private, and we don't talk about it and we bury it down. Maybe it is, is all too public, actually. Some of us feel defensive, even when I began to speak about this, we, because I start using words like purity and, or, or celibacy, or, or, and perhaps because of unhelpful teaching or books that we have been exposed to in the past, we begin to feel a bit defensive, because we've tried and it hasn't worked, or we've tried and we've failed, and I just don't even think about that anymore. Some of us feel hopeless because we're trapped in cycles of trying and failing around all of this stuff. 
Some of us actually today may never even have thought that the Bible might have something relevant to say about some of this stuff. And we find this sermon quite confrontational. Some of us have experienced hurt and abuse within relationships and in this area. And we've learned to cope with that by burying that deep down. And it feels quite exposing even to sit and listen to somebody speak about this. And I don't want anything I've said this morning, anything that we have read this morning, to be unhelpful or hurtful or to leave anyone feeling unsafe. That is the last thing I want to do in this context. I simply want to look at what this passage has to say and negotiate a way to to swim the cultural waters that we find ourselves in. And the passage is clear. Go back to that, that phrase. Amongst you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. Stop the thought before it goes further. Make the choice that means you don't go into a path of behavior that's hard to stop. Put your phone in another room. This is practical stuff. Remember the alternative story that you're part of, how much more valuable that you are than anything that is around. This is not about behavior management or trying harder or being back on that cyclical thing. It's all about grace. It's about grace worked out and actually worked out within community. So what does that mean for us this morning? It might mean that for some of us, we need to name some of the struggles that we actually have. Just name it. Take away the power. Name it to someone else, to one other person, to people around you in your missional community, to people in your student group. Go and um, have some prayer ministry. Ask somebody else to come and pray with us around this stuff. It might mean, for some of us, it means recognizing that actually we've drifted from God's standard of purity and holiness. And so therefore we need to repent of that because it's all about grace. It's not, I've drifted and that's it, you're out. You're out, it's not that. It's about drifting and saying, I'm gonna repent. Back round. It might mean actually for, for, for some of us, it's committing ourselves afresh to say, yeah, actually this is really hard in our culture, but I am committing myself to live God's way, to be part of his story. Perhaps for the first time for some of us, invite God into some of those struggles that we have, some of the questions, some of the doubts around all of this. Because when we bring our struggles and our doubts and our failures and our mistakes, we bring them out of the darkness. We read that there as well, didn't we? Into the hidden, take the hidden places, bring them into the light. Immediately, they lose their power over us. So this morning, the invitation is to take off our sexual immorality, our impurity, our greed, our obscenity, our foolish talk, our coarse joking, and to choose to put on a way of living that is self-aware and wise, that is rooted in a community that loves us and wants the best for us, and that looks to God and seeks to worship him with all that we are. Community, I think, is the lifeline in all of this, isn't it? Walking together in this alternative story. We're not designed to walk this story alone. We're designed to walk it in a community that is a deeply, deeply attractive thing to a world that doesn't know what to believe or how to live anymore. Let me just read you those verses again from 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One more story. My friend Cameron, (laughs) 
feel like I want to really name and shame at this point. I won't do that. My friend Cameron, years ago, he's, a bit, he's quite a lot younger than me. He was 19 at the time, and he just had his heart broken by his first serious girlfriend. I know. Thanks, Rebecca. She's got, if you're feeling heartbroken, go and see Rebecca. She's got a lovely face for it. <laughs> Empathetic. I was less empathetic in the situation, I'll be honest. So she was telling me all about this terrible situation. And to be honest, I thought it was quite right that they broke up because she wasn't very good for him. But I was trying to be, you know, I was putting on the empathy face. It's quite, I'm an actress, so I work for best at it. Uh, and, you know, and he was trying to tell me how crushed he was feeling by this whole thing. And he said to me, it was really funny, after going on and on about this for about 20 minutes, I was like, right, I'm bored of this now. I'm, I'm out. I'm ready to move on to my next meeting. Um, he, he said, it's hard for you to understand. It's really hard for you to understand because it's all right for you. I'm not called to singleness like you are. Thank you, Joan. That was the response I was looking for. I, my, my resp- I was actually, believe it or not, speechless. I was like, wait, wait what now? What? Say, what? Called to singleness? I was in my prime at that point. <laughs> what makes you think I'm called to singleness? Oh, I just assumed because you're the age you are... <laughs> And you've not yet met, so you've not met someone, you must be called to singleness. I'm not called to singleness. You've got 20 minutes to listen. Sometimes we make assumptions about those around us because we don't actually know their story, right? So find people around you that you can talk to about it. Don't choose me because I'm not very empathetic. No, you can talk to me if you like. Um, find people around you. Don't assume that because they're old, <laughs> that they have not or do not still wrestle with this stuff, right? First of all. Do not assume because they're married that they don't understand the temptations that are there. Do not assume because they're single that necess- well, they certainly don't understand the temptations or that somehow they float 10 centimeters off the ground and never have a lustful thought. Do not assume, in other words, that you are alone in this stuff. We are not alone. Jesus invites all of us into this alternative story, and he invites us to do that in community together. You are part of an alternative story. You are part of this community when you choose to say, I'm going to put off these old ways of being, and I'm going to put on something that, is, that, that at its heart is about saying, you are first in my heart, Jesus. What pleases you is what I want to go after, who you are and who you call me to be is who I choose to be. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing. Lord, we rejoice in your love. A love that is higher and wider and longer and deeper that I can, than I can begin to imagine. A love that bleeds and dies to take away our sin. A love that invites us into a story of forgiveness and grace justice and mercy, freedom and hope. A love that meets us in our shame and offers us grace. A love that knocks down our defenses and heals our hurts. A love that lifts us out of cycles of despair and gives us hope. A love that binds up the brokenhearted and turns darkness into light. Thank you, Father, for your unending love. Thank you, Jesus, for your, unend- for your death and resurrection. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your kindness and transforming power. And thank you too, Lord, for these symbols of bread and wine that invite us to eat and drink with you as part of your family, beloved and holy.